years ago, um, I used to preach wearing my contacts. I love contacts. They're just really a, a great device. Um, but I noticed that uh, I was beginning to have trouble reading with the contacts. And I was getting to my mid-40s, and I was running into that problem that so many people of that age run into where you begin to have a difficulty seeing uh, printed words. And I got up one Sunday to preach, and I looked down at my notes, and I realized this, I can't see a word on this piece of paper. I had the contacts in, I looked good, but I couldn't see anything. Yeah, yeah you can debate all that, right? And, and so that became a huge distraction that day. And I remember thinking, wow, a little bit of panic set in. Because I have the messages basically down, but I thought, oh, I can't even glance and get any help from these uh, notes. And, and, and I begin to realize when you don't have clear vision, everything gets distorted in life. Everything gets kind of fuzzy and out of focus. Listen, when you, when you don't have a clear vision of God, when you have a distorted view of God, when you don't see God clearly, all your life is going to be distorted and out of focus. Yeah, you need to see God with 2020 vision. This is week two of our summer series entitled, um, Who is God? And in this series, we're, we're attempting to do something pretty lofty, really. It's, uh, it, it's to embark upon a journey of understanding who God is better. And I tell you, it's one of the best uses of your time that you could ever uh, uh, do. And so this morning, we're going to try to look at God and see him with 2020 vision. Um, there are some common vision problems that y- y- you have when it comes to seeing God clearly uh, that people have. And addressing these three vision problems that I'm going to uh, share with you right now really is the meat of the message um, this morning. Um, so here are three errors. Here are three ways uh, where we don't see God clearly that can cause us problems. Number one is this assumption that God is just like us. Assumption that God is just like us. Phrases like the man upstairs or the big guy in heaven reveal to me a lot about a person. They're looking at God as being just like us, which is not seeing God clearly as having a distorted view of God. Two is this, reducing God to measurable and controllable terms making him less than he is so that you can put him in a box that you're comfortable with. Hear this. God is not someone you can tame. He is bigger than you can imagine, more powerful than you can visualize. And when you begin to manage God into this box, that is an error, that is distorted view. The third thing is this. Overlooking the obvious ways he has revealed himself. So many do this. They overlook the obvious ways that God has made himself known. You ever have a discussion with somebody, and it's just something super obvious, and they don't see it? Do you ever get kind of frustrated about that? Yeah, I do. And I think a lot of people, they overlook the obvious revelation that God has given to make himself known. Listen, um, listen to this thought from A.W. Tozer. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. I have a second A.W. quote I want to give to you, A.W. Tozer quote. Listen to this one. 
We tend by secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. And so seeing God with 20-20 vision, correcting these three vision errors that I've already revealed to you this morning, I think is a good use of our time today. And here's a big thought for you to ponder uh, as today's message unfolds. Until you know God as he is, you'll never become all that he created you to be. Until you know God as he is, you'll never become all that he's created you to be. So this morning we're going to strive to have 20-20 vision at least with the three errors that I've identified. Okay, I can't cover everything. Uh, that's going to be our goal this morning, to know God as he really is so that we move towards becoming what we're created to be. Now, I'm using some language here. I want to make sure we're on the same page. I'm talking about 2020 vision. Actually, the correct terminology is 2020 visual acuity. Not that it matters, but it does matter a little bit. Um, that is this. A normal person can see something at 20 feet away. That would be normal vision, okay? It's, and, and, and so if you have like 27, 2070 vision, this is what it means. What a normal person would see at 70 feet if you had normal vision, you would see a 20 feet. That's 2070. And you know, you get to the eye doctor and you have these charts that try to help figure all that kind of visual uh, clarity with you. Um, I always wonder, because now they just hook you up to that machine. You know, you'll get a machine and it looks into your eyes and says, you need these kind of glasses. But they still pull the chart out and still do all this work with all the different lenses, click, 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 you know, and, and still have you look at that. I guess old things die hard and this all verifies one each other and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, there's another thing they do at an eye doctor usually, uh, or an optometrist. They usually will pull out a color check to make sure you're not colorblind, right? And you'll have like a number inside a, a circle of color, something like this. Um, the one I had had a yellow aid inside a green background, which is really quite hard to see. And I'm imagining why it's not on the overhead here. It's because it probably didn't show up clear enough for us to see. But a lot of people will look at this eight inside this circle and not see it. They're totally, it's totally just not visible to them. They, they don't have the ability uh, to see that. Um, and so it's important to have clear vision, right? Or you have a distorted view of things. You don't see things. And when it comes to God, spiritually speaking, we need to have clarity. We need to see God with 20-20 uh, vision. One of the things that an optometrist will do or an eye doctor will do is visually challenge you uh, when you're having your exam. They will put down a bunch of different lenses, sometimes take them to extremes just to see where you're really at, to see how bad your problem is. And, and, and today what we're going to do is let God put some different lenses in front of our eyes and begin to look at some things differently. And maybe for the first time, I hope see some things that we've not seen in the past. And so we're going to go through the three problems that I identified today, and we're going to try to look at these correctly with the right focal lenses. And this is going to be uh, the meat uh, of the message today. So our goal is to simply see God with 20-20 vision, okay? Our goal is to see God with 20-20 vision. And the first wrong way that we see God is to assume that he's just like us. Of course, he is a God who relates to us. He is God incarnate. He has become one of us so that he can have this intimacy with us. But to think that he is just like us is distorted view. So let's talk about this visual problem and the correction for it. First focal lens is this. God is not like us. God is not like us. There is stark otherness to God. There is stark otherness to God. We're made in the image of God. 
But God isn't just a bigger, better version of us. He has a stark otherness to his being. Listen to this scripture from Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verses 25 through 28. It gets at this concept really well. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. There is stark otherness to God. Are you seeing this? He is not just a bigger, better version of you or me. He is entirely bigger than us, entirely greater than we can comprehend. I love the nap. Anybody love the nap in here? Yeah. The only ones that don't like the nap are like two and three-year-olds, the ones who really need the nap. They don't like the nap. But adults, by and large, usually like to take a nap. I, I like to reboot. I, I get tired. It's just like a 15-minute nap. Well, usually two hours. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. I like to nap. Listen, God does not nap. He doesn't need to. God does not slumber. He does not grow weary. He doesn't wear out. He doesn't get tired. He's not like us. There is a stark otherness to the God we serve. The psalmist said in, in, in Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. And what, what the psalmist was saying there was, listen, God is not like you or me. Still yourself enough to see that he is different than you, entirely greater than you are. There is a stark otherness to God. I'd like you to stand right now. So you're going to have to stand. I'm sorry, you all look so comfortable. And we're going to read uh, Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, out loud uh, together. And then we're going to sing a song that I, I, I realize first hour is new to us <laughs> about the greatness of God, but it is a good song. It's super easy to get the melody. After a line or two, You'll get it. Just jump in and sing it. It's not, not hard stuff. And, and we want to we exalt God with the reading of his word and praise him with the singing of our voices today about his greatness. Let's read Romans uh, chapter 11, verse 33 through 36 out loud together. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now this section of scripture asks some rhetorical questions. And the answers are simply this. No one has known God's mind. No one has ever been God's counselor. And God owes no one anything. He is not like us. There is stark otherness to the God we serve. So as we sing this song, I know it's new to you, but kind of think on those thoughts and praise this God who is way beyond who we are. Give me eyes to see 
there is this great intimacy. But God, uh, we acknowledge today um, there's a stark otherness to you. 
there are some things we can't comprehend. There are some things beyond our imagination or comprehension. And I, for one, am grateful. Because I don't need another human being. I don't need another one like us. I need a God who's able. A God who's efficient. A God who's strong. A God who's mighty. A God who is above all, who's sovereign, who's, who's big enough. If there's a stark otherness to you, God, I pray today that we would acknowledge that we'd see that clearly. And seeing that clear, then we can become who we're meant to be in you, Jesus. Help us to, to just understand that, that contrast between us and you, God. And embrace it as a good thing and a right thing and a beneficial thing. In your name, Jesus, amen. Go ahead and be seated, please. Um, we're going to move on to uh, our second, second sec of, of focal lenses we need to see through this morning. Um, that will correct some poor spiritual eyesight. The second focal lens is this. God is not measurable or controllable. God is not measurable or controllable. Faith, uh, faced with a God who's unmanageable, um, a God all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, oftentimes we're really intimidated, and, and what happens is there's a tendency to try to tame God down to something that's more manageable. We, we do this probably sometimes without even thinking about it. But today I want to tell you what, don't do that. God can't be tamed. He's not measurable. He is not controllable. And when we uh, tend to shrink God down, uh, we do some things that are, are, are harmful to us. So we have to watch out for this. I call it this. Watch out for shrinking God syndrome. Shrinking God syndrome. A first symptom of this um, may be this. Seeing God as your servant. Seeing God as your servant. We do this a lot more, I think, than we realize. Um, one response we should have before God when we begin to see how big and unmeasurable and uncontrollable he really is is to really fall face down before him and worship him and say, I am your servant, right? Well, we flip this on its head a lot. God, you're there to serve me and do what I want you uh, to do. Recently, we went through Romans chapters 1 through 5, um, and one of the problems we learned was this very problem. Now, it wasn't in the language that I'm using today, but... We try to make God a being that we can control, and when we don't do that, when we, when we don't see God correctly, we begin to pervert who God is, and it wrecks the whole relationship. Listen to verses 21 through 23 of Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became fruitful, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, in exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal being and birds and animals and reptiles. So, oftentimes, we see then God as our servant, not the other way around. When we do that, we begin to reduce him down to something he is not. We try to make them, him into this manageable being then. And so what we begin to do, and this is the part of this, of this shrinking God syndrome, we're seeing a reduced image of God then. We're not seeing God for who he is. We're seeing a reduced image of God. Um, someone with this problem has made God into something that they can manage. And it's amazing how quickly this can happen. Think, for example, with me on the ancient Israelites. So imagine you're one of the ancient Israelites. And under the leadership of Moses and by the mighty hand of God, you've been delivered from bondage in Egypt to freedom. God has done this through all kinds of signs and wonders uh, using 
Moses is a leader, and his brother Aaron as basically the, the high priest, okay, as they're taking this clan of Israelites from bondage to Egypt to their freedom. Now Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God. This takes a long time. And while he's gone, the Israelites begin to grumble. What's happened to this fellow Moses? <laughs> Do you notice the language there? It's not very intimate. It's distant. What's happened to this fella? Who is this fella? When someone calls you a fella, it's not very endearing, right? Uh, you know, what's happened to this fella? And then they say, this fellow who's led us out of Egypt. Moses didn't lead you out of Egypt. Who did, really? God. They got everything wrong here. God was the one by his mighty power that freed you from your captivity in Egypt. What happened to this fellow Moses? What, what happened to God? They decided we need to have a God of our own manufacture now. We need to have a God we can manage because evidently the fellow Moses is gone and they're not even understanding that God is the one doing all the work. So they go to Aaron and say, make us a God because we don't know what's happened to this fellow Moses. Make us a God because we don't know what's happened to this fellow Moses. A God that basically we can control and manage. Seeing God with 20-20 vision results in a God who's too big to manage, who's too big to control, and does this the opposite in your life. You realize how out of control you really are and how dependent you really are upon God. That's seeing God with 20-20 vision, when you begin to see him in, in that kind of light. Now, Aaron, afraid of the people, asked for the used jewelry, threw it in a pot, and out came a golden calf, supposedly. That's his story, right? And he said, now, here's your God. Here's your manageable God. Here's the God you want to manufacture. Here's the God you can control. And, and you wonder, why calf? Well, that's what the culture around them worshipped, so they took on the God of the culture. And I think of calf, I think of steak. How about you? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's what I think. They're just, you know, they're meat on hoofs, right? And I'm thinking, you worship meat on hoofs? Why would you do that? You change the immortal, immeasurable, uncontrollable God for meat? Seriously? But that's what they had done. It was really a reduction of who God uh, was. And, and here's what, what's interesting. Um, then we're told that after they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the golden calf, they sat down and drank and ate and got up and indulged in revelry, which is another way of saying uh, they were naughty boys and girls. And they, they mixed all kind of sensuality into their worship. And I mentioned this last week. If you have a wrong understanding of God, you'll have a wrong practice of faith. And that's exactly what the Israelites had done. They had made a God of their own making. They had manufactured a God they thought they could control. Now get the progression then of this. Um, you, you know, making God your servant is the first um, piece of this shrinking God syndrome. Then, then manufacturing what you think he should look like and all that. Uh, really what I'm saying there is picking and choosing a God of your own making then. That's the last point here of this, of this transgression. Picking and choosing a God of your own making. Um, uh, the look of this was a cat to the ancient Israelites. The look of it today to us is making God into a formula. God, if I do this, you have to do this. We do it all the time. God, I should have a good marriage, good kids, a good job, good life in general. If I don't have that, what's wrong with you? See what you're doing? God, you're there to serve me. 
to make my life good and pleasant and easy and, and what I want. Who's God then and who's serving? You're God and you're saying, God, serve me. You have shrinking God syndrome if that's how you think. God has promised us through Jesus Christ in this world we will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome this world. So when we have troubles, we shouldn't say, God, what's wrong with you? We should say, okay, God, this allows me to be more dependent upon you and understand that you indeed are in charge and I am not. Um, Shrinking God syndrome, though, says, I should have this trouble-free life. And God, when you don't measure up to what I think you should be, what's wrong with you? Um, Chip Ingram, author and pastor who wrote God as He Longs to Be Seen, uh, told about an encounter that he had with a woman who took the picking and choosing of God and making a God of their own making to the ultimate logical end. Listen to this conversation that he has with this, uh, this woman. I remember sitting on a plane with a woman in her late 20s. We exchanged a few pleasantries before we took off. During the flight, I opened my Bible to read a little. Oh, are you spiritual? She asked. I thought for a moment before I answered. Well, we all have a spirit that resides in us, but there's also a vacuum in our lives that can only be filled by a relationship uh, with God who made us. Oh, wow, she gushed. We have a lot in common. Well, tell me a little bit about you. I said, what, what do you believe? She said, everything. I asked her what she meant by that. She started counting on her fingers her beliefs. She had gathered an assortment of experiences from Buddhism, Baha'ism, Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, and numerous other sources to compile her own everything religion. When I asked her to talk about the God she worshipped, she said, well, God's got all this love. The heaven part I like, the hell part I don't. Stuff about judgment, I don't think God would be like that. I think he's always loving. She had created this amazing God out of the salad bar of all her religions, picked what she wanted, rejected anything that did not suit her liking, and declared, I'm spiritual. Who is she worshiping? She's worshiping herself. She has essentially assumed, I must be all-knowing. I must be all-wise. I must be all-powerful. I must know all there is to see the truth in all the different forms of people reaching for God, and I am the one who will determine what is it for me. I am the center of my universe. I will make up my rules so that I can be happy. Therefore, I am God. She has committed the ultimate act of reductionism by making God just like herself and making herself her own God. Unless any of us get too smug or critical of such arbitrary reductionism, my observation is that we all tend to do the same thing in varying degrees. His conclusion here is insightful. I've never kind of come to that conclusion, but really what she is saying is, I am God. I'm really smart. I'm going to pull all these pieces out of all these world religions, and I'm going to come up with a God of my own making. Well, who's God and who's the servant then? She's God. And the servant is the God she thinks she's serving. You follow what I'm saying by all this? This is classic reductionism. Um, The proper response to God is to say, you're unmeasurable, you're uncontrollable. Amen? You're unmanageable, I can't tame you. And though you've related to me and you've come in the flesh in your son, Jesus Christ, and you've shown me your love personally, and there's all that kind of intimacy, which is fantastic, 
until you see God as so much bigger than you are, you're never going to see God correctly. You're not seeing him with 20-20 vision. God is not tameable. He is just not someone, he's not a being that we can put into our little box and say, this is how God has to function. Man, that happens a lot. If you, if you listen with that terminology, you'll see this happening all over the place. Formalizing God, making him into a formula, right? And doing that kind of thing. And, and questioning God when things go awry in my life a little bit. Why wasn't God there for me? When you hear that kind of language, that person is not seeing God with 20-20 vision. Okay? When you think that way, you're not seeing God with 20-20 vision. Well, let's get to our last focal lens, this last corrective look into God here this morning. Um, the third focal lens is this. God is known by his revelation. He, he's obvious, more obvious than we think. He is known by his revelation. When a being is here and a being are down here, which is basically us and God, there's going to be a way God has made himself known to us, and it's called revelation. Much of truth is, of God is imparted to us, by revelation. We're never going to understand the, quote, equation behind it. We're never going to understand what God knows because we can't. We, we can't. We don't have the, the, the capacity uh, to do that. And so much of what we have to discern from God is by revelation. And that really bothers some people. Recently, uh, we watched the movie The Theory of Everything, the movie about Stephen Hawkins. And um, I'm interested in that kind of stuff. I'm a little bit nerdy. I like science and that kind of thing. And uh, in the theory of something, he gets after uh, one of the basic fallacies that, that people have. That is overlooking the obvious and thinking you're smarter than God, which is really Stephen Hawkins. And he said several times in that movie, I'm trying to come up with a simple equation that explains time, and then I'll know the beginning of all things and understand all things. Basically, he was saying science is here, God is here. But God has made himself known through the creation. God has made himself known through the order of planets. God has made himself known because things are mathematical and orderly, right? But if you overlook the obvious, if you overlook the obvious, you're not going to see this revelation of God. And God has made himself known to us by revelation. Um, and so I'm going to end this morning by talking about three ways which God has made himself known to us. First of all, he's made himself known to us through nature. Through nature, right? He's made himself known to us through nature. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 2 tell us this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. Over in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, this is further emphasized. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God reveals himself through nature. The problem is we don't take time to observe it. We don't really take time to wonder about it. Um, this last weekend... Uh, we went up to our lake place. I inherited this lake place. You know what? That means I inherited work. Any of you that have a lake place know, build a house, buy a body of water up in northern Minnesota, and everything rots, especially when you don't live there. All you do is maintenance. So I went up there to put in a furnace and air conditioning system. And it's a big undertaking. So we left at 5 o'clock Thursday morning and got home last night at 1230. And all I did was work that whole time. And so you're putting this in, you know how it goes, everything goes wrong, you know what I mean? And nothing's convenient, everything's far away, you always are missing a part. So I'm working away, and I'm thinking, it's 75 degrees out, it's beautiful, and I'm working on a stupid furnace and air conditioner. It's just, I mean, it's gorgeous up there. And the water's beautiful, the lake's beautiful. One night I noticed there were stars and a moon, and that was the last I thought about it. Two hours later I said to Vicki, the moon's beautiful tonight. 
oh, the moon's not there anymore. Oh, that's two hours ago, whatever. I, I'm working, and in the exhaust pipe is this toad watching me. He's sitting in the t- exhaust pipe. And, and finally I said, why are you in that exhaust pipe? You're going to get sucked into the furnace or whatever, and I'm going to smell you. So I finally, in frustration, grabbed the toad and threw him in the neighbor's yard. He said, there. As you can see, I'm appreciating nature. But he was alive. I didn't kill him, you know. By the way, when you tear out an old furnace, you find all kinds of things in it. I pull out this old furnace, and there's a sippy cup in it, in the top, in the burner, half burnt up. I thought, how did that sippy cup get in? It's been in there probably for 20 years. One of the kids decided that register would be a great place to drop my sippy cup, and it made it all the way down into the furnace and, and burnt up. By the way, when I started up the furnace, guess what I heard in the furnace ductwork? I said, what in the world? There's another sippy cup in there. So now I've got to turn the ductwork. Anyway, that's my problem, but you get with it. So you're busy doing all this stuff, and that's what we do in life. We're so busy, 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 that we don't see the obvious around us. We don't ever see the majesty of, of creation. We don't ever marvel at a toad sitting in an exhaust pipe uh, of a stove. We don't look at that and marvel at it. We don't take time to let it speak to us of, of the glory and the majesty and the reality of God. Here's another way that we can see God with 2020 vision, and that is through his word, through his word. The Gospel of John begins with these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. God is the great communicator, and the way he's communicated to us is through his word, the Bible. The nickname of Jesus Christ is the word. He communicates God to us. The word is God's revelation to us to be taken at face value. You want to know who God is? Look at creation. You want to know who God is? Read about him in the Bible. And, and speaking of the Son, the Word, that's the last way we can know God, through the Son, through Jesus Christ. Um, John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, The Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You want to know who God is? There's some obvious ways. Nature, his word, the son. That should form your theology about who he is. Don't overlook the obvious. So here's our challenge today. How is your vision? How is your vision of God? Do you see him with 20-20 vision? At least pertaining to the three areas that we discussed today. Do you see him with 20-20 vision? He is not like us. There's stark otherness to him. Got to watch out that we don't reduce him to something that he's not. He's not measurable. He's not controllable. He's not tameable. He's not um, tameable. And you got you to make sure that you look at the obvious ways he's been revealed and let that form your vision of God. Are you doing that? Do you have 20-20 vision? Do you have 27 vision? Do you have 2200 vision? Do you have 2400 vision when it comes to God? He wants you to have 20-20 vision. He wants you to see him clearly because in seeing him clearly, you'll be be realizing what uh, you're created to be then in in a more clear manner. Um, So we're going to pray here. I just want to note this for you. If you want some prayer today for anything at all, you can go to the prayer team sign over there after service and somebody will will pray with you. Um, Whatever you do, don't leave here with a burden. That, that you need to have lifted up to God with some brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So let's pray, and then we're going to end with a song. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to thank you um, for what we looked at today. I, I want to thank you, God, 
that there's a stark otherness to you. I mean, I'm so grateful that you're not just another person. You're, you're, you're relatable to us because of Jesus Christ, the Son who came in flesh. You have intimacy with us because of that, but there's, there's a majesty to you that I think is beyond our comprehension and, and the greatness to you that we can't really conceptualize. And for that, I, I am grateful because that means you're sufficient. That means you're, you're, you're capable in ways that I am not. And so for that, Lord, I think we're all grateful. And God, we want to thank you today that really then you're not measurable or controllable or attainable, that, 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 that we have to just come to this reality that, that you're, you're not a God we can put into a box. And when we do that, we're doing a God of our own making and we're doing that God, God reduction syndrome thing. We don't want to do that, God. We want, we want to unleash you in our lives because you want to do things in our lives that are beyond our conception, beyond our understanding. And that's why when we begin to know who you are and see you for who you are, then, then we can become what you've created us to become. We can see that, God. And so, God, uh, be unleashed in our lives, we pray today. And God, help us to see the obvious, to see you in nature, to marvel at your creativity, to see your word as, as, a, as a love letter to us, as a revelation to us about who you are. And then, of course, Jesus, God incarnate, you have made God known to us, and for that, we're so grateful. Bless the folks of Grace Point this day. Uh, fill them with a, a fresh, new, grand vision of who you are this day, God. In your name I pray, amen.